Welcome to Willard Church of the Nazarene. We're glad you're here. We can't wait to share the service with you. I'm going to be reading today from the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 10. I'll be reading verses 16 through 39. We'll look at Luke chapter 24. I'm just going to be reading a couple verses from the book of Luke. And then I'll be reading one verse from Matthew 24, verse 14. And then one verse from Acts chapter 20, verse 24. Let's begin our reading today in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 10, beginning with verse 16. Verse 16 says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Beware of them, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in the synagogues. You'll be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Now brother will deliver up brother to death, and father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in this city, flee to another, for assuredly, I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master, if they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Therefore, do not fear them. There is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden, that will not be known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but do not kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold? For a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground, apart from your Father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Amen. Move forward to the book of Luke. I'm going to read from chapter 24, just a few verses. Chapter verses and chapter 24, verses 46 through 48, beginning with verse 46. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses 
of these things, God's word says. Matthew 24, verse 14 says, our Lord says, This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. And Acts 20, 24 says, But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. The words of the Apostle Paul as inspired by the Holy Spirit. Well, Glenn S. Pop Warner is considered to be one of the greatest coaches and innovators in the history of the game of football. And upon his retirement, he was the winningest coach in college football history. He still ranks fifth all time in the annals of the winningest college coaches. Warner is also a charter member of the College Football Hall of Fame, and youth football leagues across the country bear Pop Warner's name even today. In addition to coaching at Pitt, Stanford, and Georgia, and Iowa State, and winning four national championships very early in his career, Pop Warner coached football at a now defunct institution in eastern Pennsylvania named the Carlisle Indian Industrial School. A later out in California at Stanford, Warner coached the great Ernie Nevers, an inaugural member of both the College of Pro Football Hall of Fames. But it was at Carlisle that Pop Warner coached both in football and track and field, a young man considered to be one of, if not the greatest athletes of the 20th century, Jim Thorpe. How celebrated an athlete was Jim Thorpe? Well, there is today a city in Pennsylvania named after him, Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania. Warner coached this tiny school in football comprised only of Native Americans from the reservations to records of 10-1 in 1907 and to a record of 11-1 in 1911. Now the Indians, as they were called, defeated at that time the greatest football power programs in the country. And those teams were called at that time the Big Four. They were that um, grouping was comprised of Harvard, Yale, Princeton, and Penn. And they also played Army at that time. Well, in 1911, Warner's team of Native Americans defeated Harvard before a crowd of 25,000 spectators. Now, at Carlisle, the Indian boys had come to refer to anything done with excellence or that was of the highest standard as being the Harvard style. So their conquest and victory over Harvard, the absolute best at that time, amazed even them. Well, despite... Pop Warner's incredible accomplishments at this humble institution. His start at Carlisle began somewhat inauspiciously in humility. You see, the young Indian men, as they called themselves, were taught Christian values at Carlisle. They were taught Christian principles and Christian ideals as part of their university education and training. Warner, who had graduated and played football at Cornell, had picked up a poor habit of using profane and obscene language with his players because he came to believe that his use of forceful swearing and profanities helped him to emphatically and to forcibly communicate instruction to his players. But according to a Warner biographer, Jeffrey J. Miller, the tactics and the use of language that he had practiced at other coaching stops proved ineffective with his Native American charges at Carlisle. You see, the Carlisle students had been taught to behave as civilized Christian gentlemen. 
As a result of Warner's use of foul language, the coach noticed his team's ranks begin to shrink by attrition after the first week of practice. When the coach asked the remaining players why their fellow teammates weren't attending practice anymore, the Carlisle players told him that the students that had withdrawn from the team were offended by their coach's use of profane language. Well, Warner met with the players and remaining Carlisle team members, and he apologized for his language and his behavior. And Warner later said of his decision to regulate and upgrade his vocabulary and control his language, quote, I don't think I ever swore at a player from that time, end quote. Well, the irony was that these young players that had taken to Harvard Christian training that were looked down upon by some in society as being from a savage culture provided a testimony and an example to a man that was being paid to train them. You see, these young men provided a testimony and a witness of a higher, better standard that they, as demonstrated through their actions, believed and strive to adhere to. Well, the follower of Jesus Christ, the child of God, is called to testify. We are called to bear witness of the glorious grace of Jesus Christ. This is the loving grace that led Jesus to the cross. This is the grace that led Jesus to sacrificially shed his blood for us. This was the grace that propelled him toward suffering and dying at Calvary. And the Christian is called to testify of the gospel, the good news of salvation, that is available only through the person of Jesus Christ. In Matthew 10, 18, our dear Savior told his disciples that they would testify for his sake. Jesus said, you will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. Friends, make no mistake, salvation is only available through the shed blood of the perfect Lamb of God. God the Son, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9.22 informs us that our eternal pardon and entry into the family of God was paid for by Jesus' cleansing blood. The verse says, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. Without the shedding of blood, specifically Jesus' blood, there is no remission or payment. Later in the last part of Hebrews 9.26, we learn that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, his shedding of blood, abolished sin and made clean his followers from their iniquities. The last part of 9.26 says, But now, once at the end of the ages, he, talking about Jesus, has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Jesus explained this concept of his shed blood being the payment for sin when he established and instituted the practice of communion. In Matthew 26, 27, and 28, Jesus said, Drink you all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, some translations say covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. In Luke 24, 46 through 48, Jesus told his disciples that they were to witness to testify. The verses say, Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that the repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Now notice that Jesus called his disciples to be witnesses. And it was necessary for Christ to die. <coughs> Because no one else's blood atonement would do. Why? Because Jesus Christ 
is the eternal God, God the Son. Because Jesus Christ was without sin. No other person could provide the payment or remission for our sins. And I want to say this, if there's anyone here today or listening today that's desiring to have the assurance that they are a part of God's eternal kingdom and have that entry into heaven through salvation as a child of God, you can do so today, right now, by believing and placing your trust in Jesus Christ, God the Son. 1 John 5, 13 says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. There is no other name under heaven, the Bible says, by which a person can be saved. Amen. Christian, did you know that you are to testify? And that you have a testimony because God the Father has a testimony? Because God the Son, Jesus Christ, has a testimony? And God the Holy Spirit has a testimony? Psalm 119.2 explains that those who follow the Father's testimony and wisdom will be blessed. The verse says, blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Friend, recognize that God's testimonies and his words are wonderful. They're delightful. They are true. And they are sure. Do you want to enjoy God's blessings? Keep his testimonies then. Follow God's word with the help of the Holy Spirit. Make your life a living sacrifice to Him. Live your life to glorify God. Friends, God's testimonies are wonderful. In Psalm 119, 127 through 129, David, under God's divine inspiration, wrote, Therefore, I love your commandments more than gold, yes, than fine gold. Therefore, all your precepts concerning all things I consider to be right. I hate every false way. Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. God's testimonies are the source of joy. They're the source of delight and wisdom. Psalm 119, 24 says, Your testimonies are also my delight and my counselors. You see, God's testimonies are true and sure. Christian, you can trust and abide securely in God's word and in his testimony. Psalm 93, 5 says, Your testimonies are very sure. Holiness adorns your house, O Lord, forever. Friend, the word of your most trusted earthly friend may at one time falter. But God is holy. He's perfect. He will never lie. His word is trustworthy. And his testimonies are sure. Hebrews 6, 17 and 18 reminds us that God cannot lie. God's perfection and holiness, his pristine nature, prevents him from prevarication from the fraud, from the deception, and from the duplicity practiced in this world. The verses say, Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed by oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay a hold of the hope set before us. Now those verses that I just read use the term immutable. The word immutable simply but profoundly means that God's word is sure. His nature is sure. It does not change. It is not subject to change. According to God's word, the Holy Spirit also has a testimony. John 15, 26 tells us that the Helper, the Holy Spirit, testifies of Jesus, God the Son. Jesus said this, 
But when the Helper comes, whom I, Jesus, will send to you from the Father, he will testify of me from the beginning. 1 Peter 1.11 tells us that the Holy Spirit testified of Christ to the Old Testament prophets before Jesus' incarnation, before he was fully God and fully man here on earth. Jesus also has a testimony in 1 Timothy 2, 5 through 7. The Apostle Paul wrote, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I, Paul, was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Jesus' testimony was presented and testified by the Apostle Paul and also by Jesus' disciples. Jesus' works and miracles were a testimony and a witness to his deity. Jesus explained this as is recorded in John 5.36. Our Savior said, but I have a greater witness than John, talking about John the Baptist. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. The apostles, as Paul explained in 1 Timothy 2, 5, 6, and 7, have a testimony. And when Christ returns, he will also be glorified in the saints and by those who believe. How do we know that? 1 Thessalonians 1, 8, 2, 3, 10 says, In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. When He comes in that day to be glorified in His saints and be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. That's the key to salvation, friends. Belief. The apostles testified of Jesus Christ. The Christian also, likewise, is to testify but. Testify to what? Well, to Jesus Christ and the truth of the gospel. Now, earlier we read Luke 24, 46 through 48. In Luke 24, 46 through 48, the gospel message is essentially outlined. In verse 46, Jesus instructed his followers to preach the reality of Christ's suffering, death, and his victorious and miraculous resurrection. In verse 47, Jesus talked to his disciples and told them that they were to preach repentance from sin. Jesus' payment and remission for and Jesus' uh, payment and remission for sin. He instructed his disciples to bear witness to these truths. In verse 47, Jesus instructed his disciples to preach this message to all the nations. In Acts 1:8, Jesus told his followers to be his witnesses and to proclaim this message to the ends of the earth and to the uttermost parts of the earth. The testimony of the believer of the gospel is true and available to everyone. And Christian, remember this, that every ethnic group, every people and nation that the, that the world refers to as, as being races will be represented in heaven. People from all nations and people groups and ethnicities will be in heaven. Revelation 5.9 tells us that believers from every tribe and nation will be saved and redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. The lover of Jesus Christ, the Christian, practices love for people of every ethnic group and nationality. Jesus was not a respecter of persons. Understand that, though, that as you share the gospel, you'll encounter those who refuse to believe. 
Jesus supernaturally warned Paul that he would encounter those that would refuse to accept his testimony concerning Christ. You can read about it in Acts 22, 17 and 18. It says, Now it happened when I, Paul, returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. And Christian, as you encounter those that refuse to believe and receive the testimony of Jesus Christ, don't be discouraged. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. Don't be detoured. Testify of Jesus and his work on the cross. Testify when things are good. Testify when things are bad. Testify during times of ease and times of trial and woes. Testify during times of encouragement and days of persecution. Testify during times when the message is popular and during times when it's despised and unpopular. Testify during times of cultural acceptance and during times when the culture rejects it. Testify during times of prosperity and during times of penury and war. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, adjures a Christian to persevere in their mission to evangelize, preach, and testify to the lost. The verses say, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead and his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires. Because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things. Endure affliction. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry, the verse says. Now you might be thinking, Doug, I'm not a preacher. I'm not an evangelist. Friends, listen. Just share your testimony with the unsaved people that you meet. Testify to others of what God has done for you in your life. Verse 2 of 2 Timothy 4 says that we should convince, rebuke, and exhort with long-suffering. What does that mean? Well, to convince means that we present the doctrinal truth of God's Word using a careful biblical argument. To rebuke means to correct, to help people to see how when they are unsaved and sinning and living outside the will of God, that they're in danger of hell and separation from God and experiencing unnecessary woes and pains in this world. Rebuking also includes providing correction to a Christian brother or sister that's living in error. If a fellow Christian is misinterpreting or not following God's word, we are to lovingly, not proudly, but lovingly correct that behavior using God's word as our standard to help that person avoids shipwreck in their life and their testimony for Christ. Finally, to exhort means to encourage, to give positive instruction, teaching, and mentoring. Consider the lives and testimonies of overcomers and followers of God in the Bible, such as Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Think about the testimonies of Mary that anointed Jesus, and Stephen who gave the full measure of dying as he testified for the cause of Christ. You can read about the courageous exploits of Daniel, the Hebrew children, and Daniel 1, 1 through 18, and Daniel 3, 8 through 30. Now remember, these Hebrews were oppressed captives. They were slaves living in a foreign country. They seemingly had everything to lose by not obeying the edicts and the dictates of the king. 
There's no new circumstances and situation could definitely be described as being out of season. But these courageous young men prayed and trusted God in the face of lethal opposition. With God's help, they did not conform to the culture. They did not forsake their laws regarding food and what they took into their bodies. When facing the ultimate form of cancellation, death, for refusing to bow down to the image of the king, they testified of their trust and love for God above all other things, even their own lives, by facing the possibility of their own demise in a fiery furnace or incinerator. Their testimony can be described as a testimony of bold, courageous faith. And we know that God delivered them from being burned to death, but they didn't know that. They believed that God could save them, but they chose to follow God even unto death, and God delivered them. Mary anointed Jesus with a costly alabaster spike guard of perfume that was estimated to be worth a year's wages at that time. Remember, as she honored Jesus with her gift and her act of service, what happened? She was criticized. Her efforts were put down, even by God's men, the disciples. You can read about her testimony in Matthew 26, 6 through 13, and in Mark 14, 3 through 9. Now, I've heard some Bible teachers through the years suggest that her spike guard could have been her most valuable possession, a kind of marriage dowry used for attaining a husband. We don't know that for sure. But she was put down for wasting this treasured resource by pouring it out on Jesus. But what was the result of her actions in the final eternal analysis? She gave a testimony, an act that can best be described as a testimony of loving worship and sacrificial giving to her Savior, Jesus. Jesus described her testimony this way as is recorded in Mark 14, 9. Jesus says, Surely I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, that this woman, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Think about Stephen. You can read Stephen's testimony in Acts chapter 7. Before Stephen died for Christ and the truth of the gospel, he shared his testimony, a testimony of Jesus Christ. Think about it. He was facing death at the hands of a crazed, rock-wielding mob. But Stephen stood firm, not for some cause that had no importance beyond this world, but for the cause of Christ that has eternal significance and eternal implications. But wait. Unlike Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God allowed his precious child, his beloved saint, his dear follower Stephen, to die in what the world would label as a horrible, tragic, meaningless death. Did God care about Stephen? Friend, remember this. Don't ever forget that if God calls you to die for his cause, he will be with you. It is appointed unto men, all men to die, the Bible says. No one wants to die. Even Jesus, our Lord, God the Son, asked God the Father to take away the horrors of the cross and the Father willed it. The Christian, if your life is taken from you, God sees you, and you will find refuge and comfort even in your death. How do we know that? Well, Psalm 116, 15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Proverbs 14, 32 reminds us that we, the children of God, have a better hope beyond this world and this life. The verse says, the wicked is banished in his wickedness, but the righteous has a refuge or a hope in his death. Jesus said, as is recorded in Matthew 10, 39, he who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. 
Well, Stephen followed Jesus in his truth, and his testimony can be described as a testimony of literally and faithfully giving his life as a sacrifice and loving obedience to God. Think about it. Stephen could have backed down. He could have relented. He could have appeased his attackers and denied Jesus Christ. But he loved Jesus more than his own life. Friends, remember this. The Christian values God's gift of life at all times. The Christian never murders others or goes on a suicide mission. But sometimes the Christian's life is often taken from them as they remain faithful to God in the face of persecution and death. Hebrews 11.35 tells us that the person that dies in their faith for the cause of Christ will receive a better experience in life, eternal life in the presence of God. The verse says, Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Hebrews 11.38 says, that the world was not worthy of these believers that allowed their lives to be taken as they remained steadfast in faithfulness to Christ, just as Stephen did. Stephen wasn't saved, friends, by dying for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He didn't receive his gift of salvation because he died a martyr's death. No. Stephen was saved because he believed and placed his trust in Jesus Christ and because he followed Christ in faith. We still have his example and his testimony today. Friends, what will the testimony of your life be? Let it be a testimony and a witness for the goodness of the gospel, for faith, obedience to, and worship of Jesus Christ. Amen. As you're called Amen. by God, let your testimony follow the example of Daniel and the three Hebrew children. Let your testimony be like the witness of Mary glorifying worshiping God. As you're called, let your testimony be like Stephen's, following Jesus even unto death. Psalm 48, 14 says, for this God is our God forever and ever, even unto death. When you die in Christ as a believer, you will receive an eternal gift that will last forever that no one will ever be able to take away from you. Jesus said that as we endure hardships and trials in this world, that we are to remain faithful even unto death. His words to the church in Smyrna are recorded in Revelation 2.10. Jesus said, Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be, te be tested. And you'll have tribulation ten days. But be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Paul had this testimony as is recorded in Acts 20, 24. The verse says, But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will last forever. Amen. 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 Your Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is true. You don't lie. Lord, that everything in your word can be trusted. And Lord, I pray that you would give us a special boldness to share the gospel message with those that we come in contact with. Lord, I pray that you would anoint us to go out and to minister to people that are hurting in this world that don't know you. Lord, we need you. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and anoint us to do this work to your glory, not ours. 
We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.